0: Welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture, Episode 8. In this podcast, Oliver McIntyre talks to George Dunn, Chief Executive of the Tenant Farmers Association, about the challenges facing tenant farmers, sustainability targets, trade deals, and the length of tenancy agreements. Here's Oliver.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to our June podcast. In this episode I'm delighted to be joined by George John, Chief Executive of the Tenant Farmers Association. I'll be chatting to him about agriculture, sustainability and about how the Tenant Farmers Association supports its members. George, great to talk to you. How are
2: you? I'm very well, Oliver. Thank you for having me on today.
1: It's a great delight. Fabulous. We're honoured to take up part of your time to record this. George, the theme of these podcasts is sustainability. You are chief exec of the Tenant Farmers Association. Many landowners can make decisions in almost complete autonomy as the industry travels to net zero. How are members of the Tenant Farmers Association looking at the road ahead? And are there any major issues for the tenanted sector on this journey?
2: Yeah, Oliver, that's a really important Point. And for tenant farmers, there are two important things which impact the way in which they can respond to the net zero and carbon agenda. And one is the legislation that covers the tenancies. And the other is actually the contract of tenancy that they have with their landlords. Now, the legislation and the contracts of tenancy tend to corral farm tenants down the pure agriculture route and you will see many times within tenancy agreements the phrase that farm tenants need to use the holdings for agricultural purposes only. You need to understand the extent to which tenants can do other things beyond straight agriculture for the benefit of biodiversity, carbon, clean air, clean water and all of that. But interestingly when you read any tenancy agreement, even tenancy agreements from you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the covenants that are within those tenancy agreements that tenants have to abide with are actually very of their time for today in terms of managing hedges, managing pastures, managing trees and not damaging the watercourses and things. So tenants are used to taking an holistic approach to their holdings, but yes, there will be difficulties in terms of analysing the legal nightlies of, of whether the activities they are involved with on that holding are actually purely agricultural
1: or something beyond agriculture for which they will need consent yeah i think that's a really good point and we'll chat a little bit later about length of farm tenancies in a little more detail but i think this is something we would be in agreement with that this journey to net zero and you you've mentioned clean air clean water etc and it all ties in together as an industry we're going to have to work together where do you see the biggest challenge or challenges, either by sector or through policy and direction of travel? And are you confident that Agriculture UK will get to net zero by 2040?
2: Well, I think it's really important to start from an understanding of where we are right now. And it's often said that agriculture is responsible for 25% of carbon emissions, but actually those are on a global scale. If you look at UK agriculture and UK emissions, UK agriculture is responsible for only 10% of our domestic emissions. So we are already ahead of the game in that respect. So given that UK agriculture covers 70% of the land of the country that we inhabit, it must be the other 30% of the land producing the 90% of the emissions. And one of the things that our members don't want to be in a position of being is ape And the idea that we should simply take out land to plant trees in order to mop up the carbon emissions from the rest of the economy is something that our members struggle with because they say we are already a carbon-efficient industry. We obviously need to do more in that direction, but don't hamstring us by removing lots of land from our businesses. And for the talented sector particularly, you'll know, Oliver, that half of the talented sector in England and Wales is now made up of farm business tenancies and they tend to be short-term. And what we're concerned about is that we will see landlords taking land out of the talented sector in order to go into tree planting or rewilding or other biodiversity in that game schemes. And that will really damage the resilience of the tenanted sector, really damage the profitability of the tenanted sector. And we need to ensure we take a holistic systems approach to this. So we're not just chasing trees, that we need to understand how this plays through as a complete system for carbon and profitability.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, George. It depends on which survey you read, but we're somewhere between 60 and 65% percent self sufficient in food. Now, obviously, there are some foods that we can't farm in the UK. But if we take great swathes of land out of production for tree planting, for as you called it, the other 30% of the UK's land mass, then we're just going to import more. And then what's the authenticity of the food we're importing and what's its carbon footprint? So it's such a complex issue. I keep referring to it as a massive. Or that all needs piecing together, but you know what we mustn't do is just go headlong down the road and then find out in ten or fifteen years' time we haven't actually taken the right action, not just as an individual farmer but as an industry and as a country. You touched there, George, on length of tenancy and that fifty percent of tenanted land in England and Wales is under farm business tenancies. TFA and yourself are very passionate and campaigned a lot about increasing the length of farm tenancies, something we in the banking sector would support. Do you see a need to review tenancy terms and conditions in the light of domestic agricultural policy and also perhaps in the light to try and drive more new entrants into agriculture?
2: Yeah, so if you go back to 1995, when the Agricultural Tenancies Act was introduced, which brought in farm business tenancies, it was against the background of the government wanting to deregulate everything you know deregulating the buses deregulating the stock exchange deregulating the agricultural tenancy sector at the same time and the idea was that the more flexibility you provide to the sector the more sustainability you will get because people will tend to do the right thing in the marketplace but sadly what we have seen since 1995 is a considerably short-term approach to farm tenancies. And we haven't seen in any year since 1995 a sensible length of term on an average or even a whole basis. So today, here we are in 2021, we have the average length of term on farm business tenancies at just over three years, 3.21 years. And 90% of all new tenancies let are for five years or less. And in farming terms, you will know, Oliver, that's a blink of an eye or or a click of the fingers. What we really need are tenancies of at least 10 years or more for people to make uh, sensible judgments in terms of investments, for banks to lend, which you referred to earlier, and for profits to be made, and also to engage in this wider environmental agenda that we're talking about. You know, How can you do a soil management plan or a biodiversity net gain contract or even an agri-environment scheme over short lengths of term? So we really do think that there is a moment now that the government needs to address this. We've been year after year after year banging on about this, both to DEFRA and to the Treasury. And we do think that the taxation environment within which landlords think about how they manage land should change, both to encourage longer term letting, but also to restrict their desire to let short term, because we need those longer term tenancies in place.
1: Yeah, I think just sort of explain for people listening in from a sort of banking context, technically, if someone's only got a four-year tenancy, that's the only length of time we can lend money over because the security of tenure effectively ends after four years. So whilst it's not a challenge for working capital or the capital you use for everyday costs... If you're just going into a tenancy and need to borrow money on a sort of structured term facility, it can be a challenge because obviously the repayments over four years are far bigger than they would be month by month than if you could spread that cost out over 10 years. We're also seeing, and it's sort of connected to tenancy and probably to success as well a little bit. But we, we have some information beginning to trickle out on the proposed exit scheme, which is part of the, the agricultural policy. What are your thoughts on that, George, and how do you think that might affect the tenanted sector?
2: Oliver, just to add to what you said there about lending, one of the feedbacks that we get from the, the landlord representatives about lengths of term is that even though the tenancy may be for a short period of time to begin with or is for a, a five-year term or whatever, that they are quite often renewed on a year-to-year basis because they don't have to come to an end unless someone decides to serve a notice to quit. So people can be on farms for longer than their initial term. But even from a banking perspective, you talked about the the lending there, if you've only got a year-to-year interest in your land, uh, that's an even worse position to be in from an investment or borrowing perspective. Uh, So this idea that, that simply because the landlord is not serving a notice to quit on you makes it all very fine, and dandy, in our view, is not correct either. And the consultation from DEFRA on the Lump Sun Exit Scheme, I mean, let's be clear, we, we never ever envisaged that this was going to provide the only source of resource for individuals seeking to go into retirement, it was always going to be part of a portfolio of resources. So. For example, a tenant may be able to get a surrender payment from their landlord for giving up a lease early to giving back taken possession to the landlord, may have some live and dead stock that they can get rid of for value, may have a small pension provision themselves. So we think that there is a need to be creative about the way in which this operates. But we think that there are probably three types of arrangement where individuals could take advantage of this. Now, the first would be your relatively small owner-occupier, perhaps coming up to retirement or just beyond retirement age, without successes. And the scheme is going to give them the ability to hold on to the ownership of their land, but to let it out. Now, the provisions are that they'd let it out for five years at least. Now, going back to our earlier discussion, we'd like the government to put 10 years to get some more sustainable tenancies in place. But we think that might be a sensible option for those smaller owner-occupiers. Then you've got tenants who have already been in discussions with their landlords or who could easily open up discussions with the landlords for a surrender and get a surrender payment from the landlord to top up their lump sum payment and leave the industry. So we think they are in a good place to take advantage of this scheme. And finally, those individuals on tenancies who have eligible and suitable successes in the wings and where they have the ability to have tenancy succession for those older style agreements, then those individuals may be able to exit the industry as the previous tenant of the holding and allow their next generation to come on one little wrinkle with that we are talking to the government about is a lot of farms will be operating as partnerships and maybe over the past few years have brought in a younger member of the family to be in the partnership as a plan towards succession The way the scheme currently is drafted is that the whole of the partnership has to exit the industry, which we think is bizarre. And against public policy, we think that those younger individuals who maybe, say, have come in in the last three to five or seven years into the business should be allowed to carry on while the older generation moves on. So we think there is some work to be done to hone this scheme, but the benefit was always going to be limited. There will be some benefit for those types of individuals.
1: Really good point, George. And actually, if I'm honest, not one that across my mind, you know, it sometimes feels like succession is a huge issue in UK agriculture. And it feels like sometimes there could be more done to get the next generation involved in the farming business. And this potentially, as you say, may actually hinder that rather than help it. George, we've skirted about it and discussed it a little bit with Sustainable Farming Initiative and within that ELMS, the environmental land management scheme coming down the road at us. What advice are you giving to members about clarifying who does what and I suppose therefore, to be brutally honest, who gets what from those schemes?
2: Yeah, so this is the $64,000 question, isn't it? We've been waiting since the referendum vote in 2016 for this information to be issued and here we are still waiting for a lot of the details. So we've had the information about the pilot Sustainable Farming Incentive, which is going to be the first and the lowest component of the ELM arrangements. And we've been having discussions with DEFRA about how this plays out within a landlord-tenant environment. So we're looking at issues like, who has the management control to deliver the scheme objectives? Who has the ability to meet the outcomes of the scheme? And how do you deal with people who have got short-term interests in land, and do you need landlords' consent? And this is on the relatively simple end of the ELM components, because when we get into issues of the of the higher components, so the local nature recovery, which will require collaboration between individuals and then landscape recovery, those large-scale projects, then those issues of landlord-tenant become even more concerning. So we're talking to representatives of the landlord community to try and get guidance for the willing. You will always have issues where landlords and tenants have been in disputes for many years where you will never get them to agree on these types of arrangements. But where there are willing landlords and willing tenants who want to do the right thing and take part in these schemes, we are trying to produce guidance for them to ensure that they take advantage of that. But we are, we are looking very carefully at how these schemes play out within a landlord-tenant environment. And then you've got other complications like common land. Common land is a big issue. It hasn't really been well administered in terms of schemes previously. We need to get that right going forward. So there's a lot of work yet to be done. And sadly, we're still very early in the process. So we know the pain. We know how the BPS, the basic payment scheme, is going to be reduced over the next few years. We're not yet so clear on what the gain is going to be. And there's still a lot of work to be done on that.
1: Certainly is a challenge. You mentioned it earlier. We're in an industry where, like you say, three to five years is like a blink of an eye. So, yeah, the greater clarity, not just for farmers, but for people like us who support the industry would be very welcome. Certainly, George, you mentioned commons as well in my consultancy and early banking days I kind of cut my teeth in Cumbria, which, as you'll be well aware, huge areas of that county are in commons, and they can be hugely complex, especially when it comes to administering environmental schemes. George, we're coming to the end. We're going to wrap up with a couple of real quick questions. I think what I would ask you is if you've got one thing in your gift, one thing that you could give to UK agriculture for the next 10 years, what would that be, George?
2: I think that's an easy one for me, Oliver. And here we are in the throes of talking about trade deals with Australia and New Zealand, etc. The one thing, if I had the ability to give it to UK agriculture was a guarantee that the standards to which we are asked to produce food and fibre in this country and with regards to environment and animal welfare and food safety would be the same domestically as they are at our borders. And as yet, we are not convinced... The government has signed up to that principle. We do not believe that UK farmers should be required to meet standards that their international competitors aren't meeting. So we think that the government should absolutely say these standards are important to us and we will enforce them at our borders. And that's the one gift that I would give to UK agriculture if I could.
1: That would be a really good gift to give, George, I think, because it's a much-used phrase. If you import food, you just exported all responsibility, whether it's animal welfare, carbon, environment, whatever it is. One final question, George, before I let you get on with your day. What three words, what three characteristics do you think farming needs to be for the coming 10 years and the challenges ahead?
2: Okay, well, the first word that I would choose, Oliver, would be profitable. And there's no sense in which we can have an industry or a business which cannot turn a profit. And it's only profitable businesses that are able to manage this wider sustainability agenda and to contribute to all of the things that society wants us to do. So profitable would be my first word. Secondly, engaging. We cannot stop engaging with the public, with our consumers about what we are doing. They don't understand, and that's not talking pejoratively. They're just in a different sphere. They don't understand what goes on in the countryside. And we need to be continually explaining and providing opportunities for them to engage with us in in terms of what we're doing, not just for food, but for the wider environment. The third word that I would choose would be flexible. We need to be ensuring that we are changing all the time. We need to be at the leading edge, not at the trailing edge of technology and of new ideas and of the way in which consumers are consuming food. So profitability, engagement, and flexibility are my three words.
1: And you're not going to get much argument from me on any of those, George, because clearly working for a bank, unless you're making profit and generating cash, you're up against it from the outset. So I would just say thank you so much for joining us today, George. It's been an absolute pleasure. And with a bit of luck, hopefully we can meet face to face very soon.
2: Oliver, thanks so much for the opportunity. really enjoyed it.
1: If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and you'll receive a notification when we release our next episode, when no doubt we'll be taking a deeper look at sustainability and its impact on UK agriculture. All of our Let's Talk Agriculture podcasts are available to listen or download from our Barclays Let's Talk Business channel on Spotify, Apple and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.
0: We also have Let's Talk Agriculture, Farm to Fork Specials, and Let's Talk Real Estate podcasts, delving deeper into other important topics and issues. These are available on our Let's Talk Business channel. Make money work for you. We're not responsible for, nor do we endorse in any way, third-party websites or their content. The views and opinions expressed in this content don't necessarily reflect the views of Barclays Bank UK PLC, nor should they be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays Bank UK PLC. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no responsibility for the veracity of information intimated by a third party and no warranties or undertakings of any kind, whether expressed or implied, regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information given. Barclays Bank UK PLC takes no liability for the impact of any decisions made based on information contained and views expressed. Barclays Bank UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.